Good morning, everybody. Yeah. My name's Patrick Mahomes. And uh, Pastor Joe will be out here in a minute, but he asked me to come out here and warm me up just a little bit before the sermon. And, um, you know, don't worry about me. I still got time. The plane is right outside. It's going to take me right to Miami. And I'll get there for kickoff. Don't you worry. I'm Patrick Mahomes. They're not going to start without me. All right? Now, I was asked to come out here, and, and I want to give you guys some free merch. All right? Did you guys know that I have my own cereal? You can only buy this in Kansas City, and they put it in collector's boxes. It's called Mahomes Magic Crunch. And so I came out here to find the biggest Chiefs fan in this room who wants some of my cereal. Who, right there, all right, now here I come. All right. This is a very scientific process right here. All right, how about over here? Who's my biggest Chiefs fan right here? Are you sure, the biggest one ever? All right, you're not gonna cheer for the Niners in secret, in private, are you? No, all right, have some, there you go, awesome. All right, I'm going to go catch my plane now. I'm just kidding. It's me. It's Pastor Joe. Did you know that? I'm not Patrick Mahomes. I, uh, anyway, I'm kidding around. Hey, welcome to New Life. I'm so glad you're here today. We still love you, even if you're cheering for the Niners. And so, uh, but hey, big game today. We've reached the final sermon in our series called Align. And I'll just tell you, I hope, I hope that you have enjoyed this series. I hope you have learned a lot from this series. I can tell you, personally, I've grown quite a bit from this series. Just being in the Word in this way, thinking about it like this and examining Scripture, about walking with God daily even better than we, we can possibly imagine. I, I've gotten a lot out of this, and, and I hope that you have as well. When we started this series several weeks back, we defined the word aligned this way. To put things in the correct order or to put things in their appropriate relative position. That's how we defined that word. So thinking about the Lord, it's like, okay, if, if, if everything's in the right order and everything's in its right place, then you're aligned. And what does that look like in your walk with God? We kind of bottom lined it like this, that if God, if, in your life, if God is in the right place, then everything else will be too. It all starts with God. It all starts with position. Everything lines up off of him. So out, throughout this series, I've really tried to help us have a biblical understanding of the way that God sees the world, the way that God views us, scripturally, what God wants from us. And if we know that biblically, how God sees the world, what he wants from us, and how he views us, then we can better come around and line up with his vision, his will, his purposes, his joy for us in our lives. So as we wrap up this series today, I want us to tackle one more piece of this alignment with God conversation. And this piece that we're gonna talk about today, I mean, it is so real. And at the same time, it is so common in, 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 in our world today. And it's so common that there's not a one of us in this room today that is exempt from it, from what we're talking about today. In fact, every single one of us has to confront this issue in our lives. In this area, this issue, I can tell you, it so desperately wants to knock you so far out of alignment with God that you won't even see straight. Our text today is Romans chapter six. So if you brought your Bibles with you, why don't you go ahead and turn over to Romans chapter six. That's where we're gonna be spending our morning today. I think I got some Mahomes hair in my mouth. I think I got it now, all right. Romans chapter six, I didn't wanna do this the whole service. And so... Anyway, uh, go ahead and turn over to Romans chapter 6. I want to let you know, 
Romans chapter 6 was written by the Apostle Paul. We've spent a lot of time with Paul here at our church. He's responsible for many of the books in the New Testament. And as we went through Acts, he was a prominent person in Acts. Well, he writes this letter, the book of Romans, the letter to Romans. He writes it to the Christians who are living in Rome. And by default, every Christian that reads it, he's writing it to us as, as well. One of these days, we're going to um, take on the book of Romans. We're going to do a chapter-by-chapter chapter series through Romans. And let me just tell you, that will be quite the undertaking when we get to the book of Romans. But we're going to do that one day. But for today, we're just going to stick with Romans chapter 6. And in, in Romans chapter 6, you're going to discover that Paul starts a, a really a lengthy part of his letter in chapter 6 talking about this hope that we as Christians have against our fight against sin. He's going to spend some time talking about, like, we are not powerless. No, 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 sin doesn't have to rule over us. No, we actually have hope in our fight against sin. Now, not only, talking about sin, not only can sin knock you out of alignment, not only can sin get you off track, not only can it cause you to think differently, and we touched on this just a little bit through the series, but what sin can eventually become, it can become a habitual constant in your life. That's what sin can do. Sin can become a habitual constant. By habitual, what I mean is it just becomes a habit in your life. It becomes something that you almost do without thinking about it. It's a habit. And by constant, it means it's always present. So it's this habitual constant. It's always there. It's always a, a presence. And when that happens, when sin becomes this habitual constant, after a while, it begins to create some level of callousness in your heart. Sometimes we would even talk about it this way. Sin can blind you of the truth. Sin has a blinding effect in your walk with Jesus. This is callousness. It's like it becomes a presence. It's there. It's, not, it's going unchecked. And we're not seeing things correctly. And this misalignment really starts to show itself. Simply put, sin can knock you so far out of alignment for so long that after a while, it becomes normal. It just becomes a normal part of your life. And when sin gets to that part where you're walking side by side with sin in your life, then it tends to not feel so strong anymore. There's this mentality that begins to develop. It's like, you know what? It just is what it is. This is a part of my life. But God's got me. You know, God loves me anyway. I'm not really going to take care of that. This thing is just going to be there. But, but at the end of the day, God's grace is there. And then we're just going to move on because Jesus paid for it all. And, and that's just the way it is. And it becomes this justification in your life that, I, you know, it just is a part of my life. But God's got me anyway. So Paul is writing the book of Romans. And he is, it very feels very much like he is in Romans chapter 6, addressing a misunderstanding about sin that seems to be um, swelling up within the Christians there in the city of Rome. Someone had to have proposed a question because when you start Romans chapter six, it feels like Paul is answering somebody's question. Somebody had to have proposed a question about this idea of like, isn't there more grace than there is sin in the world? I mean, isn't there enough grace to cover all the sins of the world? How, how does that, how does that work? Like the more you sin, the more grace increases. And so here's how Romans chapter six begins. Look at verse one. Paul says this, 
What shall we say then? So, okay, so he's responding to something, something that definitely came up in chapter five. But he says, what, do, what should we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? See, the argument would go like this. Whenever somebody sins, God moves in with grace. And the more a person sins, the more grace God dishes out. And, and I hope you realize that with this kind of thinking, anybody could view it as a license to sin. Do you see that? Just a license to sin. Somebody might say, hey, if sin is the opportunity for God to give more grace, then the more I sin, the more God is going to send more grace into the world to counteract my sin. So it doesn't matter how much I sin, God's always gonna shower me with grace. And somebody might also conclude that we are somehow called by God to sin in the world so that he will respond by sending more grace. Now I hope, as I even say that, there is something that feels so off with that, doesn't it? Doesn't that feel off by your head nods? That doesn't, that doesn't feel right, that kind of thinking. Yet, if you look at the behavior of many people who call themselves Christians, Maybe if you even examined your own heart and did a gut check, you know, inventory of where your heart is at. If you look at where the church is at in America today and how many involved in the church behave, you might be tempted to think that that's exactly how Christians think today and how they believe. You know, they may not say it this bluntly, I sin so that I can be forgiven. I don't think you're gonna find one person that's ever gonna admit to that. But yet, perhaps there is an attitude toward sin these days among Christians that softens sin because we lean so heavily on God's grace. It's so easy to just be like, God's got me. Yeah, that's probably not good, but yeah, God, God paid for my all sins. So I was like, do I really have to obey God in everything that he wants out of my life? I think God's grace got this. Do you know there's actually a, an official term for that kind of thinking? I don't really need to obey, God's got me. The, the, the term is this, it's called antinomianism. No, you will not be quizzed on this later. You do not have to recall this later, but that's the actual word. And this is what it means. It's the conviction that believers, that's us, believers are freed from obeying God by depending upon God's grace for their salvation. I don't have to be that obedient to God because there's more than enough grace to cover me. How does that look in the real world? Let me give you a very extreme version of it. Um, in one of my previous ministries, I received a letter in the mail, just out of the blue, a random letter one day um, from a man, in our or a man in our community who was threatening in this letter to take legal action against one of the single moms in our church. And this letter was a request for my help to help him sort it out so he doesn't have to take her to court. Friends, I'm just gonna tell you, I get some weird mail, all right, as a pastor of this church. You would not believe the mail that I get, okay. Uh, but anyway, this, this is on the outer edges of ex extreme. When I tell you the rest of this story, I want you to know that I'm gonna be very intentional and very deliberate in how I tell you this very adult story. So he's asking for my help to resolve whatever this conflict he's having with this single mom 
in our church. And you see, the conflict had to do with this. He's a handyman, and he had done a bunch of work on her house for which he was claiming that she never paid him for. And when I asked a few questions about this, um, this single mom in our church, she, she said that, no, she did pay him for the work and that she didn't owe him any money. And I'm like, what? okay, well, what is this all about? And, and as we got a little bit more into it and trying to understand, she said, well, a bunch of the work that he did for me was just out of the kindness of his own heart too. And she said that, that um, you know, he just took, you know, he just understood my situation. He, he knew I was in a hard, difficult place and he just cared about me and just wanted to help me out. But after a while, the full truth came out. He was indeed receiving payment from her. It just wasn't a cash transaction. And then after a while, she said to him, I don't want this anymore, and I'm done with this. And he was so rejected, so hurt, and when he realized there was no opportunity for any further romantic involvement with this woman in our church, he became so angry that he billed her for all the work and threatened to sue her if she didn't pay. You know, when it was all became known what this was really all about, my wife and I, who, who has known this lady for a long time, we sat down with her and just were like, how did it come to this? How, how, how? You know this is not what God wants. You know that this, this is not the trajectory that God wants you on. This sin, how, how did it come to that? And I, I'll never forget her response. And it's so, I feel, indicative of where I think many Christians are at today. She just, just, just shrugged it off and said, ah, you know what, you're making kind of a big deal out of this and it's not the big deal. I know what Jesus did for me. He died for me, he's got me. I know he loves me still and it's all good. We're, we're good, Joe, we're good. I, I'm never gonna be anybody's spiritual judge and jury. That's not the role that God's ever called me to be in. That's not the role he's ever called you to be in. That role is for him and him alone. But in that moment, I, my heart broke because there was just really no perceivable guilt. There was no remorse. There was no acknowledgement. I have sinned greatly and, and I violated what God wanted for my life. There was just no acknowledgement. But on the flip side, it was this, God's got me, it's okay. Listen, uh, listen, he understands me and, and God's grace is more than enough to cover anything I've ever done. And it was almost like, where is that, you know, that brokenness? You know, when David was confronted with his sin with Bathsheba in the Old Testament and he sat down after he was so broken up out and he wrote the 51st Psalm and he writes in verse four, he says, against you, God, and you only have I sinned. I've done evil against you and you're justified for you to be my judge. I'm going, where was that? And like when the prodigal son came home to his father in Luke chapter 15, and he came to his senses, and he said in verse 21 there, he said, he said, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. See, I'm afraid that what is becoming commonplace among those who call themselves Christians is this idea that we are saved by God's grace and therefore I no longer really need to concern myself or think too much about obeying God 
and about living according to his standard and about his best for my life. And this concept of denying myself and taking up my cross and following him in full obedience, it's almost as if, yeah, God's got me. I can live however I want to live. And I believe in many ways this is the exact question. This is the exact scenario that Paul is addressing in Romans chapter 6. Look at verse 1 again. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? And then he says this, by no means, absolutely not. That kind of thinking is not correct. It's completely unreasonable for any of us to ever be flippant with sinful behavior or to be dismissive of sin or to haphazardly or arbitrarily claim God's grace has got me covered and by using that deflect the seriousness of the sin that may very well be present in our lives. It's not what God wants to deflect sin by claiming grace. By no means, Paul says. Look at verse two again. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? When Paul said we, I want you to remember, he's talking to Christians. This isn't just some random message to a random group of people. No, this is to the church. And he says, we, church, remember, what did we do? We died to sin. Now let me be very clear. He is not acknowledging that we're never gonna sin again. That's not what he's saying. That would be absolutely unrealistic. Are we saying we're never supposed to, we're never gonna sin again? Absolutely not, of course we are. But as you keep reading deeper into the book of Romans and many other places in scripture, it becomes clear that we are never going to be free from the battle with sin. From the day you align with Christ to the day you die, you are gonna fight that sinful nature inside of you. But what he means when he says we died to sin is like saying we have, as Christians, we have pronounced this death sentence on that old way of life, that old nature. It's like there's a moment in our life where we say we are done with the old me, the way I used to live. I now identify as a follower of Christ. And that part of me, before I knew Jesus, that is done and that is gone. I died to that way. I am living a new life. And that's why, foundationally, why we say here all the time, God cares more about where you're going than where you have been. So, if the before I knew Christ you was a very sexually promiscuous person, then that means that you have put that part of your life to death. You say, I'm gonna align myself with God's purity, his character, his best for that part of my life. If the before you knew Christ you was a liar, then you put that to death and that dishonesty, that, that lack of integrity. You say, I'm aligning myself with the characteristics of Jesus in purity and integrity and in honesty. If the before you knew Christ you was a big old jerk that would step on anybody that got in your way, squish people around you, mistreat people so that you could get ahead. You're saying, I put that part of me to death and I have aligned myself. I've allowed the love of God to rule in my heart and I wanna adopt this, do unto others, I'd have them do unto me, which is a very Christ-reflected view of the world. I have put to death the old way and I am walking in a new way. That is what Paul meant when he says we died to that. It died to sin is a representation of a mentality that you have turned over a new leaf. So that what you have done in the past, he's like how in the world can you go back 
and live in a dead way again. If you have put something to death, how can you go back to something that is dead? It doesn't mean that you're never gonna sin again. But that old you is dead. How could you resurrect it? How could you live in it again? How can there be life in that dead way again? Biblically speaking, when we put that old self, our sin that died, with, on, that died a horrible death on the cross with Jesus, my sins are paid for by Jesus Christ. And because of what he's done, I have been, we have been released from the bondage and the consequences of that old way of life and free to walk in a new life. And that's where grace is. If you look at verse three, Paul's gonna elaborate even further. He says, don't you know, which is an interesting phrase, it's like, you should know. Don't you know this? You remember when Jesus used to confront the religious leaders? He says, haven't you read? Haven't you read? That's like Jesus' way of saying, you should know, but let me remind you. So this is the same kind of idea. He says, don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. Again, I wanna keep reminding you, Paul is addressing Christians when he wrote this. So he says, don't you know? This isn't a mystery. You should know this. And then he's like, let me take you back to the beginning. Let me take you back to that moment you were baptized. Let's go back in time. This is how this should feel. Let's go back in time when you're baptized, when you went down into the water and you went fully under the water and then you came back up out of the water. It's almost like Paul is saying, what was that all about? Okay, I'm addressing this question about sin and grace, but let's go back to your baptism. What was that all about? And what he's gonna tell them is that this, your baptism, was all about you aligning yourself with Christ. What specifically about Jesus were you aligning with when you were baptized? Paul says you were aligning yourself with the death and the resurrection. Let me point you to one other passage in the book of Corinthians. This is Paul also. He says this, for what I received, I passed on to you of first importance that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. Now listen to this next part. He died, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. When you believe that, it's called faith. And that is a mighty powerful moment in a person's life. To utter the very words, I believe. To bring yourself to that point, I believe this. I believe that Jesus died. I believe that they put him in a tomb. I believe three days later, he rose to life. I believe that he is alive today. I believe he's coming back. I believe if I put my faith in him, I, my sins will be forgiven and I will be with Jesus forever. That's a powerful moment. Do you remember your moment when you believe that? That's the moment Paul is taking them back to. 
And, and, and in that moment, in the New Testament, what is very consistent and clear is every single person who believed that also got baptized. That's that moment that we're talking about here. You got into the water, you went fully under the water, and then you came back up. And in doing so, in a very visual way, you are aligning yourself with Jesus's death and his resurrection. And that is even what we do even to this very day. Let me kind of explain more technically what that's all about. So you, in faith, going into the water is a step of faith saying, I'm gonna go with Jesus now. And you step down into the water. And now here at our church, we have a baptistry. That screen is gonna go up. And actually in a few minutes, if you feel like you're ready to do that, you're gonna have an opportunity to. That screen's gonna go up and we have a baptistry back there. It's this big, warm tank. It's like almost hot tub warm. Sometimes the staff and I just hang out there and have staff meetings. No, we don't do that. I'm kidding. We don't do that. But wherever you get baptized, whether it be a pool, or in the ocean, or in a river, or in a lake, or wherever, as you go down into that water, that baptistry, that water is a symbolic, it is symbolic of a grave. And as Jesus was died and as he was buried, you going underwater is a representation of that reality. I have died with Christ. There's a visual thing you're doing. It's an alignment. I have died. So that water is representative of a grave. That's why Paul says if you have, you know, died a death like his, that's what that is. And we know that three days later, what did Jesus do? He came up out of that tomb. And so as you come up out of the water, we don't hold anybody down for three days, but you come out of that water. And that is like visually aligning with his resurrection. So as Jesus died, was buried and raised in baptism, you die to your old self, you're buried, you're raised, and you become like him in his death and resurrection. That's what you're aligning yourself with at baptism. And as Jesus, as he was resurrected all those years ago, he came out and that ushered out a new day, a new day in the world. He transitioned. He was different. Death was defeated forever. When you come up out of that water, it is a new day for you too, to live in a new way, to what the Bible calls a new way of life or new life. So in the New Testament, aligning oneself with Christ's death and resurrection through baptism was the normal response to, I believe that Jesus died for me, rose to life, he's alive today, and he's coming back again to take me to heaven one day, faith. Baptism was a response to faith. And it signaled visually that the old is gone and the new is here and you don't care who knows it, you want the world to know it. Now, it doesn't mean you're never gonna sin again. I wanna be very clear, but you have made an active decision. The old is gone. I'm aligning with Christ. The new is here. And when you do that, when you come up out of that water and you have aligned yourself with Jesus, it means that you are now misaligned with your old nature. Do you understand that? I've aligned with Christ. Now I'm misaligned with who I used to be. And so Paul asked the question, why would you try to go back and align yourself to what you are now so clearly misaligned with? It shouldn't be that way. And so as we go to verse six, look what he says next. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, 
we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once and for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. Obviously, I could preach four more sermons on those three or four verses right there, but let me just give you the crux of it. Let me just bottom line it for you here. Paul is arguing, how can you get baptized and align yourself with the death and resurrection of Jesus and then continue to live your life as if nothing happened? No, he says, by no means, no. You have been set free. You are fully alive to live in him, to be completely aligned with his will, his desires, his purposes, as we wait for this day when we'll be with him in all glory. And like verse 10 says, Jesus died this death once and for all, but now, after the resurrection, he lives for God. And the very next verse, verse 11, it starts this way, in the same way. Friends, this is where alignment, this whole alignment conversation is right here. In the same way. In the same way. In the same way. Don't lose sight of that. In the same way. Count yourself dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. This right here is the heart of this entire series that we have been in. In the same way. Jesus aligned with God through the death and resurrection. That was God's plan, that was God's doing. And we align ourselves the same way through Jesus in his death and resurrection. And we are aligned with what God is doing in this world. Verse 12, therefore, okay, because of all that, because of faith, you've aligned with God, you've united with him in his death and resurrection. Therefore, because of all that, in the same way, therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. I like that word reign. That word reign means don't let it have a continual, habitual presence in your life that calluses your heart and you can't see straight for Jesus anymore. Don't let it reign. It's not that you're never gonna sin again. Don't let it reign there. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourself to God as those who have been brought from death to life. That old way is gone, the new way is here. And offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. For sin shall no longer be your master. It used to be, but it's not anymore. Because you are not under the law, but under grace. I am so thankful that the test of being a real Christian is not whether or not we ever sin again. If that was the test of what a real Christian is, I have failed that, time, that test thousands of times, and so have you. We are going to sin again. But being aligned with God, walking with God, is about being freed from the power and the control of sin in your life. Friends, I want you to know it would be impossible for me to preach Romans 6 without at least giving you the opportunity to respond in baptism. I don't know how God is stirring your heart and I don't know where all of you are in your walk with Jesus Christ, but you know what? Maybe just now God is saying to you, it's time for you to follow through and align with me. You've allowed sin to reign too long. 
you're still dabbling with your old self, and perhaps now the light bulb moment for you is this is the moment that I align with Christ, I align with his death and resurrection, I align up fully with God. And if that's you today, then I invite you to be baptized, to follow Christ. In just a moment, John and the worship team's gonna come out here and they're gonna lead us into some, some worship. And at any time during our worship here, I want you to feel free to follow Christ and come up here and be baptized. We've got uh, a lot of clothes back there. Maybe you came and said, oh, I didn't bring any clothes. Don't worry, we got tons of clothes back there and they are all clean, by the way. And we got tons of clothes back there, lots of towels. We've had people respond in our other services and I just want you to know that is there for you. But at the heart of it, my, hear me, it is faith. What is it that you believe? If you believe that Jesus died on the cross for you, rose to life, and is alive today, and wants you to walk with him in full obedience, and to be with him forever in heaven, if, if that's what you believe, and you have not responded to that faith, today's your day. It's time to align with him through baptism, to have a visual thing in your life that you can point to say, I'm walking with God from here on out. But maybe, maybe you're here today and you're like, I think the Lord has opened my eyes to some habitual sin in my life. Yeah, I've followed Christ, but I think I've been dabbling with the old me. And I won't do that anymore. Maybe for you this morning, it's to tell God I'm sorry. It's to repent of that sin. Thank God for opening your eyes to it. Say, Lord, I'm gonna draw a line in the sand and I repent of allowing sin to have some mastery over me or in this area or blinding me or keeping me from walking fully with you. So maybe for you, it's, God, I'm sorry. Maybe you take a knee right there in your seat. Maybe you come here to the front, tell God, I'm sorry. Wherever, or just stand there and just worship and say, God, I don't wanna be that way. I wanna be with you. This just might be this moment that God has been waiting for your whole life to get a hold of your heart and mind and say, this is the time. You've been playing around too long. It's time to walk with me. So whatever is on your heart, and I don't know, my prayer would be that all of us have taken that step. But if it's your step today, this is your time. So let's stand together. I'm gonna pray for us. John's gonna lead us in worship. And at any time, and during our worship this morning, you just come on up and you tell me, I'm ready. Pastor David's gonna take you back to the back. We'll baptize you today. And let's do some business with God.